Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 37 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Today I'm really excited to be joined by Russell Emanuel, director of the movie Occupants. How are you doing, Russell? Hey, good. Thanks for having me on board. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, before we get started, we're going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Okay, about me. I guess if you want from the very, very beginning, um, I, I'm originally from uh, Alameda, California, which is, I guess, like a suburb of uh, San Francisco. Um, I grew up in both Japan and the United States. Um, which helped me to kind of, I guess, hone in on my perspective on the world. So I have a very international point of view. Um, I'm also half white and half Japanese. So there is kind of like, uh, I guess, a cultural conflict sometimes, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring a lot of this into, I guess, my filmmaking skills, um, into my, um, uh, what do you call it, um, my storytelling. So you could mm-hmm. see um, elements of that, like dichotomies or conflicts or use of shadows. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not saying that I'm in conflict, like, you know, with myself per se, but, you know, I could understand, you know, different cultures, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, uh, that was my uh, childhood. I um, did go to this uh, international high school in Japan called Canadian Academy. And the reason I mentioned this is the last year I was there, and this was in Kobe. Um, there was an earthquake there, and it killed like 6,000 people. So that really wow. did influence, uh, you know, uh, my feelings on mortality, if you will, mm-hmm. because I did have friends whose, um, you know, family members or um, their own, like, uh, houses, um, you know, they were, like, pretty much destroyed in the earthquake. So, you know, I mean, that, that really did influence me. And then I, I used, I actually used this, and this is kind of a little funny anecdote in a kind of tragic situation but i did a um a uh, star trek themed uh episode for uh, the last year of my uh my senior year of high school basically mm-hmm. we had to do something that took time effort and money so i made a star trek episode and when <laughs> yeah and and what happened is um what was it this was like 1994 to 1995 right mm-hmm. and the earthquake hit, hit january 1995 and you know, our projects had to be finished in May of that year. So what happened was there was a lot of destruction. And I used that as a alien city in my Star Trek episode. <laughs> so well, that's resourceful. That. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, basically, um, you know, uh, it, it, people seem to have liked it. Although for me, in retrospect, it was kind of amateurish. But, you know, I, hopefully I've grown since I made that episode you know, as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. but it was good enough to get me into the University of Southern California Cinema School. And I know I'm talking to a fellow Trojan here. Yes, <laughs> so absolutely. Fight on. <laughs> fight on. Um, but yeah, I, I got into the USC Cinema School and um, uh, what happened is, um, you know, I went to USC. Um, I, it, I, I was in critical studies, so it was like film analysis. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to critique films. And then after I graduated, I did go to our rival school for some extension <laughs> courses, UCLA. So I have nothing against UCLA. And UCLA, UCLA Extension, I took a lot of uh, more practical courses, um, you know. And uh, I met my uh, future filmmaking uh, buddy and partner, Emil Harris. 
And uh, Emil Harris and I have been making films since uh, my first short film, Her Night, in 2002. Um, and he's he's worked with me on Occupants, the one I guess I'm here to talk about. But uh, we did Her Night, uh, which wasn't the best film in the world. I learned my lesson and from my mistakes, and then I made um, Girl with Gun. And Girl with Gun is the short film that got me uh, into feature filmmaking. Girl with Gun... Uh, was able to uh, garner a lot of awards, get into a lot of film festivals, and it got a lot of uh, positive reviews. And because of that, um, I guess the highlight was the San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. So, And my current film, Occupants, is going to be playing at the San Diego Comic-Con on July 23rd. So this is kind of like a homecoming for San Diego for me. But back then, this is in the year like 2005, I think, or six. When we got into San Diego, oh, we were giddy. I'm telling you, I mean, we I were bet. ecstatic. I mean, it, it's like the granddaddy of Comic Cons, you know. I mean, in fact, they're called Comic Con. That's it. That's their name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, and that film um, got the attention of my uh, feature film producer, the one that I've been making feature films with. His name is Howard Nash. I'm very indebted to the man. Um, he saw a Girl with Gun. He liked it, uh, and he offered me a directing position on PJ. And PJ is my first feature film I shot in 2006 in New York, and it has had a stellar cast. It had John Hurd, who's the Home Alone dad, uh, Vincent mm-hmm. Pastore of The Sopranos, and Robert Picardo of Star Trek Voyager, whom I worked with five times now, including in Occupants. So this is the first time I, I met Bob Picardo. And we shot, um, it was kind of amusing. We, we shot over uh, the Christmas season, 2006 mm-hmm. and seven. So my only two days off, if you can guess, were Christmas and New Year's. New Year's. <laughs> and on those days, you know what I did? Probably not a relax, <laughs> my guess. Unless you consider doing laundry relaxing. <laughs> hey, you got to get it done sometime, right? Yeah. But, you know, it for me, I was incredibly grateful. I mean, I was given the opportunity at the age of 29, so I'm dating myself here. Um, I'm 29 in my 20s. Uh, one of my goals in life, of, you know, by the time I reached 30, was to direct a feature film. And here I am directing, you know, these name actors <laughs> on a feature shot in New York. Yeah. It, it's just, it was surreal. It was so surreal. So, you know, I, I was just so grateful. I put all my effort and energy into it. And it seems to have worked because we did win uh, Best Picture for that film at the New Jersey uh, International Film Festival. Very cool. So, and that film, because of that film, then I was brought on board to Chasing the Green, which is my second feature film, again, produced by Howard Nash. And it did star Bob Picardo, too. And we, um, the main actors were Jeremy London of Party of Five, Ryan Hurst of uh, Sons of Anarchy, and William Devane, for me, which was a treat, because he was directed by the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. And to be able to direct somebody who was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, that, that was just, it was mesmerizing, it was very surreal. Now, was that um, what started to get you into suspense? Is that um, the genre that you've you've kind of always been headed towards, or yeah, I, did you just kind of fall into it? Yeah, I, I guess I should uh, backtrack again. Um, you see, I, I'm a thinker. I, I do a lot of thinking, and I love love playing Legos, and I love mm-hmm. film music. 
uh, especially the music of John Williams. And I'm so happy John Williams is still with us. Um, and I can't wait to hear his new scores for the BFG and Star Wars and Indiana Jones that are coming up. But, you know, uh, basically I, I internalize a lot. And I was talking to you about conflict, right? Because mm-hmm. of my uh, two different cultures. And I mean two very different cultures. American and Japanese are very different. So uh, for me, uh, I, I tend to like not just suspense, but psychological suspense. And you're right, Alfred Hitchcock is definitely um, uh, a childhood hero of mine. So I loved his, loved his films, North by Northwest. I mean, the opening title sequence for that is just stellar. Mm-hmm. You have Bernard Herrmann as a composer. I mean, it's incredible. And of course, you know, everybody knows Psycho. You know, R- Rear Window. Rear Window. Love. That's That's got to be my oh, favorite. That's is Rear a Window. very well done film. And it could have gone so wrong. You know, you just have this one guy sitting in a room staring across at his neighbors. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much more boring could that be? Right. But Alfred right. Hitchcock being the master of <laughs> No, he pulled it off. It was incredible. So, yeah, when we did films, uh, let's say like Occupants is definitely in the suspense genre. And it's found yeah. footage, so it's, uh, it takes on the level of voyeurism, right? Well, mm-hmm. Rear Window was definitely up there uh, yeah. in my uh, research and homework. In fact, I owned a film on my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the film. Um, the guy is really good. So, you know, um, Girl with Gun, it has that element of suspense, too, and also dichotomy. And you can see it with the use of shadows. Um, and I, I do bring that into four, into occupants also. Uh, I think shadows are a very good way to convey uh, suspense and self-doubt and just pure psychological terror. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess the other genre, and maybe Hitchcock could uh, fall into this too, is film noir, mm-hmm. which was the style in, during World War II. Um, you know, I guess it was based on German express, expressionism. Uh, but it's the use of shadows, in- incredible use of shadows, and shadows are used to hide things. I, From what I found out, the reason they did that in the 40s is because it, it was a way to save money. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't have to fill in all the all that space with uh, props and scenery. Yeah, you know, World War II, uh, a lot of the money was going towards the war effort. So, you know, I mean, they were using that to, I guess, cut costs. But you know what, it was, it's such an artistic uh, joy. For me mm-hmm. to watch films like um, I mean, you can name like, uh, you know, um, Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, uh, you know, even maybe the Maltese Falcon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that really did influence me. So when I made PJ, I was talking just now about Chasing the Green. And now uh, the third feature film is The Legends of Nathaya. And that one has Robert Picardo in the main role. Same thing. You know, I brought that mm-hmm. form. Um, and because of the success of that one, which again was produced by Howard Nash, then um, uh, we did a uh, documentary called Restoration of Paradise, which um, happens to be about the Bolsa Chica wetlands uh, near my house. And I go there for stress relief when I just want to take a walk. And that was narrated by Bob Ricardo. And again, because of that, then now we're doing nothing. That's awesome. That's awesome. You have quite the quite the fun and diverse filmography going on there. I, I like to try new things. I mean, that's one thing about uh, growing up, I guess, very international uh, for me anyway. Um, you know, I, I get to experience uh, uh, new things like right now I'm uh, traveling everywhere in the United States to promote occupants. So I mm-hmm. got to see our uh, nation's capital for the first time ever. In Washington. Oh, that's State. cool. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. 
it, it, it snowed it, on the day that I went, it was president's day and it was snowing and it was like a winter wonderland. If I, if I could ever imagine a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a true, like a Christmas story, mm-hmm. it would be that, you know, I mean, it was beautiful with the snow and everything was just, it, it looked, it looked incredible. And I went there because uh, I went to a convention, a Star Trek convention called Farpoint. Mm-hmm. And they invited me there. So it was, I was in Timonium, Maryland. And I just happened to say, you know, I'm very close to D.C. I might as well just, you know, be a tourist and, you know, take a trip while I'm here. That's what I did. So, you know, I've never been to Maryland. I've never been to D.C. I went to uh, Ohio in May and I got to see uh, it was for the Rathacon. And uh, I got to meet some great people, including my voice actor, Alan Courtright, and uh, future producer, Julie Del Olocio. And Julie, I'm sorry, I'm butchering your name there. But. We are going to be doing a film called The Dollhouse, which is a uh, kind of a suspense. We were mentioning suspense, uh, suspenseful horror film that we're planning That's to awesome. shoot next summer. But that you see, I got to go there, and it's uh, going to be shot in Ohio, in Macedonia. So I got to see Ohio. Uh, I was just in Phoenix, where I met you. Uh, yes. And I have I've been to Phoenix before, but it's nice to be back. My grandparents used to live there. So um, and Phoenix treated us very well. I mean. Very, very well. They gave us the uh, second best prize at the festival. Yeah, it's a, it was a fun convention. I really enjoyed being there. Oh, it was great. A hundred thousand people, even in a hundred fifteen degree weather, it didn't matter. I mean, my writer Julia Cameron and I, we were geeking out. <laughs> we were we were like uh, uh, on the day of the award ceremony. Uh, we were just uh, just uh, going all over the exhibition hall trying to find a mm-hmm. Ray action figure, Ray from Star Wars. And uh, yeah, we were just going from booth to booth, and she had a very specific Ray doll she wanted to buy, and she could not find it. She ended up buying a compromised one, which was a mini Ray doll, uh, mini Ray action figure inside uh, with other action figures, right? Gotcha. And then, yeah. of course, the next booth had the Ray action figure she wanted. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about patience. <laughs> so, yeah, I felt so bad. I even offered her to help pay for her second action figure, but she she gracefully declined. But, yeah, it, we had a great time. It was great. Look, uh, Phoenix treated us very well, and I'm incredibly happy. I would go back there in a heartbeat. So we did Phoenix. Um, in a week, in less than a week, we'll be in Florida Supercon in Miami. Oh, wow. Again, for occupants, they're giving us three screenings this time, two panels, uh, a table for the whole duration of the um, of the um, the Comic-Con there, and uh, Robert Picardo himself will be there. Oh, that's awesome. So it's that's like, cool. you know, it's like royal treatment. Of course, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. um, you know, but yeah, I'm going to be there. The producer will be there. Our uh, main actor, Michael Pugliasi, was there. Just like in Phoenix, our main actress, Brianna White, was there. Um, so, and Robert Picardo, of course, is our uh, other main actor, and he'll be there too. Um, I'm going to be staying with my composer, Vasilis Molesis, and his wife, whom I've, I've never met in real life. We uh, did the score through uh, Skype and Facebook. Isn't it amazing how in this day and age we we work so closely with people that we've actually never met in person? It's amazing. And, you know, I, I've done this um, – I've, I've said this on uh, previous interviews, but it truly is the case. This is the year 2016, right? In 1996, mm-hmm. there's no way you could have done this. No, not at all. Yeah, and you know what? I, I dare say in 2006 it would have been very hard to do it. 
So, you know, in 2016, though, I meant this is just, you can do it. And, you know, for our film occupants, we also had visual effects and we did 3D modeling. Well, I, I hired a company in Bangalore, India uh, called Screen Arts VFX. And, um, you know, um, my uh, go-to guy was Marikanda Yabalan. And we were able to do it, even though the files were huge. They were really big, somewhere like two gigabytes. But, you know, in 2016, wow. you can actually uh, do that. And, you know, my composer at the time was living in Spain. And, you know, that's how we were communicating. Um, but again, we could do it. We could talk to each other on Skype, video. We can, you know, uh, even call each other internationally for free. I um, mean, it was just incredible what you can do. Um, now he's in Miami and I'm going to meet him for the first time ever. And I look forward to meeting him. And he seems to be super excited because he has his own panel. <laughs> film composers. And, uh, you know, I want him to have a good time because he really, he really did a good job on this film. Um, you know, then after that, we're going to uh, San Diego Comic-Con. I mentioned that. And that's on July 23rd. Actually, before that, we're going to uh, Shoreleave, Shoreleave 38, uh, the 38th annual Shoreleave uh, convention. And that's another Star Trek convention in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, wow. So that's July 17th at 5 p.m. They're actually giving us the the uh, the best screening time and date. In fact, they say that we're going to top off the whole convention. That's, not, that's nice. So it's, that's it's awesome. It's like a big honor, you know, uh, and I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> so we have <laughs> that. Then we have on uh, July 23rd, Saturday, um at 10:45 p.m. we have Comic-Con International which is, you know, San Diego Comic-Con which is like a really big deal for a lot of us. Um and the main actress will be there, the writer will be there, Julia Camera. Um, you know, the uh DP editor, the one I mentioned, Emil Harris. Mm -hmm. Well, he'll be there too. So, I mean, and the producer will be there, Howard Nash. I mean, it's such a big deal. So yeah, it sounds like that's going to be the capstone at this point that you're going to have it kind of all coming together there. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, I'll be in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> uh, we got into a really good film festival. You see, a lot of the other film festivals we got into, they were film festivals of comic cons, right? Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. San Antonio Film Festival is a film festival for films. And you can say that it's our first film festival specifically as a film festival. And gotcha. it's a very high middle-tiered film festival. Uh, they've been in existence for 22 years. You can look them up on wow. Wikipedia. And when I got the call from the uh, festival director, uh, was it Monday? I was just ecstatic. I bet. I was ecstatic because, you know, basically, uh, you know, it shows that, uh, you know, a really accredited film festival, not Comic-Con, film festival, uh, was willing to accept the film. And That's I was awesome. very happy. And don't get me wrong, I'm very happy with the Comic Cons. I'm incredibly happy with the Comic Cons. But the fact is, they're very genre specific, right? Right. This film festival isn't. So that's then the next destination. And then the next one is the Action on Film International Film Festival. But that's local. So uh, if you're available, that's in Monrovia. Monrovia oh, I, I am very familiar with Monrovia. I, I grew up in West Covina, which is oh. like. 15 minutes away. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, we don't know when exactly yet because it's too far out, but the festival itself runs September 2nd to 10th. Awesome. So that's where we are right now. Um, and again, you know, um, Occupants has afforded me just so many opportunities. I'm just really grateful. And of course, there's a, 
we could talk about this later, but a comic book tie-in to Occupants, the feature film. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we have to save <laughs> some for the for the feature of the uh, <laughs> of the show. Okay, uh, let's just, let's just get a little bit more about your your geeky background. Um, what are where are areas where your geekitude is high? Well, Star Trek. I mean, I I'm telling you, I made a Star Trek episode in high school, right? Well, I grew up right, on right. the Next Generation. I love Deep Space Nine, and I love Voyager. Uh, that that's my generation. That's my childhood, you know. Uh, especially the next generation. It's uh, I own every episode on VHS. And again, I'm dating myself there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm right there with you. I have I have a feeling that we're very similar. We're, we're probably within a couple of years of each other. <laughs> and then you understand my uh, joy and pain because I don't know what to do with the VHS tapes anymore. <laughs> absolutely. But I remember yeah, absolutely. going to, uh, you know, the video stores and the, and the bookstores and, uh, and, and, and the malls, you know, just looking for all the uh, episodes I was missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was so happy when I completed it. And of course then DVDs came out. <laughs> <laughs> and you can buy the whole lump sum on Amazon right yeah. now. <laughs> Oops. Well, what can I say? Well, in retrospect, <laughs> I'm so happy. Collectors I'm happy. could never regret their collections. You no, just have no, to no. embrace it in the, for the time that it existed. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I mean, I also grew up on like X Files. You know, I, I loved that show, and I was so mm-hmm. happy when they came back. Uh, you know, for season was it ten? Yeah. No, I was incredibly happy. I grew up with uh, Scully and Mulder. You know, and they're yeah. just like, like, yeah, the last feature film wasn't that good, but you know, I mean, I I just loved especially the first five six seasons of that show. So I'm just, just was ecstatic, and you know, I mean, if it if you're talking about more current stuff, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I read I read all the books, you know, and mm. I'm hoping George R. R. Martin will come out come out with the next book soon. <laughs> yeah, he needs to get on that. It's been quite a while, you know. 2011 was the last one, so, but that's okay. We have the TV show, and uh, the the uh, finale episode for what's it, season six is tomorrow. So. I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm I'm going to be actually uh, podcasting with uh, your friend Kenneth Rodder, who interviewed yes. me. So we're going to be doing that tomorrow night. So that's awesome. Shout out, that's to awesome. Kenneth. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, we we're I'm still stuck on uh, season four of Game of Thrones. I have a lot of catching up to do. Oh, I did not want to <laughs> But I will tell you, the last episode was incredible. I heard it. Like people were all talking about it on the interwebs. I needed to. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I do eventually want to watch it. I'll catch there up. There was this one money shot in there. I mean, it, I, they must have spent so much money to do that shot. Oh, wow. It was, it was a tracking shot, and it lasted for I don't know how long. Maybe at least thirty seconds. Wow. And it, it was just so visceral. It was so in your face, and it was very heart pounding. And I was gripping the, uh, you know, the edges of my seat because I didn't know what was going to happen. No, oh, I love it when television can do that for you because, you know, so so often we get into the, the kind of standard procedural. Every week is the same. It's just, you know, the same same formula, different different details. And when when you can be watching a show and just be kind of completely enthralled and on the edge of your seat, that's like that, that can be a rarity nowadays. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the thing is, this season is the first season. Uh, without any reliance on George R. R. Martin's book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the showrunners had to, you know, be a little more original. And you can tell that it's a bit, a little different from the previous seasons for that reason. Yeah. There's some episodes which, to be honest, were downright boring for me. But not the last episode. That one was really <laughs> good. <laughs> 
So, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward to the finale tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, if you're talking inner geekdom, there's that. I, I you know, I watched Babylon 5 when I was younger. I just loved uh, story arcs. And same thing with Deep Space Nine. It, it's like a, unlike Next Generation or uh, Voyager, it had an arc as a beginning, mm-hmm. middle, and end. You know, and I thought it was brilliant. Well, I was listening to a podcast, and I don't remember if it's the new Engage podcast, which is the new um, official Star Trek um, podcast, or or where I heard it, but I think it was in, on Engage, and they talked about how um, kind of midway through the Deep Space Nine run, um, they really wanted to do that, and the the studio was like, no, no, we keep it ep- episodic, and you know we don't need that through arc, but then they got so caught up with trying to make Voyager work. They kind of just let Deep Space Nine do whatever it wanted. And so they kind of were one of the very first shows that kind of had that through-line story through the entire um, season. And um, and so the, I thought that was interesting because I didn't realize that that's kind of where that, that started up. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that either. I do know the last ten episodes were specifically one story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's an incredible show. And, you know, honestly, it had one of the best villains. And I'm talking about Kai Wynn. Mm-hmm. You know, Louise Fletcher. Louise Fletcher yeah. is a really great actress. I mean, she was Nurse Ratchet and One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest. But for me, she's going to be Kai Wynn. Evil. <laughs> Pure evil. Yeah, very, very, very evil. <laughs> Even when she's trying to be good, she's evil. Anyway. <laughs> so well, where, where, are, where are areas where your inner geekdom is low? Well, uh, ironically, I have to say comic books because <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a comic book tie-in. Um, no, I, I, I did not grow up very much on comic books, um, and it took my associate producer, Eric Kask of Occupant, to get mm-hmm. me into it. And Eric, thank you for doing so. But he's been teaching me a lot of stuff, like what a comic book one-shot is. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't know it was 24 pages. Now I do, because I wrote the story yeah. for the Occupants <laughs> one. But yeah, it's like uh, comic books. I it was very, um, I, I didn't know very much about it. You know, now uh, Eric's been like lending me uh, comic books, like, um, you know, about the C-3PO's Red Arm one. Um, How is that? It was good. Was it, good? it was really good, and it was kind of sad. And to be honest, I wish they had talked about it during the movie itself, because, you know, they never explained it in The Force Awakens. No, they didn't. He just had a red arm, and in the last scene, he had his own gold arm back. It's like, okay, uh, sure. <laughs> like, just, just, you know, give some backstory, you know? But I don't know. Maybe they'll explain in episode eight. Maybe. So, yeah, comic books, I'm pretty deficient. I'm, I'm catchy up, though. I really am. I really am, everybody. But um, also, I guess the new video games is another area that I'm not exactly, you know, uh, you know, at the fore. The old video mm-hmm. games I am. You know, I grew up on, um, like, uh, Contra or, um, you know, uh, Zelda, uh, Super Mario Brothers. I love Dragon Quest. I love the older Final Fantasy games. But the new ones, for me, you know, when, it, when they went 3D, I guess I just couldn't understand it. Okay. Maybe that's why. It was. It felt different for me because I grew up on the 2D ones, you know. Yeah, you missed the the side the side scrollers. Yeah, it, yeah, that's what I'm. And you know, right now I'm playing Dragon Quest 2 on my iPhone, mm-hmm. which again, you're talking 2016 technology. You can play a video game on your iPhone. I know, crazy, isn't it's, it? It's weird, and it only costs 2.99. Yeah, 
I can't believe it. You know, I mean, usually back in what in the eighties, you had this big clunky uh, console, and you had to stick your cartridge in there. <laughs> no, you just yeah, we, we've that. come a long, we've come a long way. It, and it's not, it's not that long ago. That's what the, you know, that that's what's so amazing. It really isn't. You know, I. It's just technology has been. It's just it's been advancing at a stellar rate. It's amazing. So yeah, I guess those are my two areas of uh, low geekitude, if you will. Now, out of all of this, um, would you say Star Trek is your is your favorite fandom? You know, it's ironic. Uh, I mentioned John Williams, right? I love mm-hmm, the composer mm-hmm. John Williams, and of course, John Williams did the score for all seven Star Wars films, and I love his music. So I watch the Star Wars films a lot for his music. So I love Star Wars, but I also love Star Trek. I've seen every episode. So what's my favorite fandom, if you will? Mm-hmm. It's hard. <laughs> to be honest, percent <laughs> Star Wars, 49.9% Star Trek. Well, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. You're you're one of uh, you're you're like me, and, and I know there's always been a little bit of a Star Wars Star Trek rivalry, and I, I think I we're both in the camp of yeah, you can like them both. Yeah, you can. I mean, I mean, look, both are incredible. Look, I I am looking more forward to. I, I, this was actually um, this was me in like late 2015. I was looking more forward to the Star Wars films that were going to come out than the Star Trek mm-hmm. films. Uh, Star Trek Beyond in the first trailer, it didn't look good. Right. And, um, you know, I had no idea what the new Star Trek series was going to be about. The one that's coming out next year. Now it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, the, the new trailer for Beyond, it, it seems really good. And I'm very excited. And, of course, Anton Yelchin passed. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I kind of want to see it just as a tribute to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very excited for Star Trek Beyond. And I hear very good things about the new TV show. You know, Nicholas Mayer's back, who's the writer and director of Star Trek Two and uh, Six, and he wrote Star Trek Four, and I think he's one of the best Star Trek directors. And he's coming back as a writer for this new TV show. Um, and, you know, you, you have just some... Um, I'm hearing that the captain of Firefly might be the new captain. Oh, really? Right. I don't know. And, yeah, as I uh, always joke around, you know, I thought he was very good in season two of Firefly. Uh huh. <laughs> but no, I mean that's um you know so I am look I am uh, very interested in Star Trek now, uh, maybe more so than Star Wars. Yeah, I I think that I'm I'm curious to see how the TV show does. I'm I'm a little concerned about the fact that they're just going to stream it, that it's going to have to subscribe to their their service to stream it. But um, you know at least we can see the pilot. To to kind of make that decision if we want to do that or not. I, I just hope it's in the Prime Universe. To be honest, I'm not yeah. a fan of the Reboot Universe. I think the Reboot Universe is fun for what it is, but it's not it, – it's much more action-y. It's much more kind of in your face where I feel like old Star Trek was you – know, it had its action, but it was all um, a little bit more intellectual, a little bit more problem-solving. And I, I, I think that's something that we we've missed out on a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I, I think the best Star Treks uh, tend to be ones where they, you know, try to figure out, um, you know, what the problem is. Star Trek Two, Star Trek Six, mm-hmm. Star Trek Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason why, and in Star Trek First Contact, there's a reason why these films worked. Um, they're, they're very uh, more uh, character-driven. 
um, you know, they're more personal. I didn't feel that with uh, Star Trek the Star Trek Eleven. It was it was pretty good, but Star Trek in the Darkness, I didn't feel that. Yeah, no, I. It's this weird kind of. I, I feel like there's kind of a new genre that has come about lately that is kind of the new nostalgia. Where you you're you're banking on the nostalgia that people feel towards the property um, to get them to watch your new take on it, and that's that's kind of what Star Trek is in the movies right now. It's it's kind of like it's less about the story and more about the hey look at the the new situations and the new takes were were the new spins we're putting on this idea. Yeah, and you know the other problem is you know Star Trek started off as a TV show. So you mm-hmm. got to see the cast, um, you know, or the crew of, you know, the Starship Enterprise, I guess, in, in that case, um, from the original 60s show. You got to see them every week. So you got to get to know them. With this, with these new movies, what, you get one movie every four years? <laughs> every mm-hmm. three years? Mm-hmm. How can you get to know these the, this crew? You know, yeah, it makes it hot. And again, it's relying on what we already know, but they've changed it enough that they aren't the same. So you really don't get that that FaceTime with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, Chris Pine is not William Shatner. Um, you know, no. Jackie Quinto is not Leonard Nimoy. They just aren't, you know. Carl Orbit, he's pretty good, though. Yeah, I mean, not, not Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto are great, too. But uh, Carl Orbit really surprised me because he's from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And he's playing a southern doctor. <laughs> he does a great job. And, and yeah, I saw. I remember growing up with him. Uh, here's another show I watched: Xena and Hercules. And I remember seeing him on that show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm going, this guy is Doctor, you know, McCoy. <laughs> yeah. At first, I was skeptical. Then I saw him going, this guy's good. I'm gonna have to go back and look at like old episodes of that because I don't remember him on there. I mean, I I vaguely do, but he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't stand out as as some of the other characters did. He played Julius Caesar, and he played a Greek god. I forgot which one, but I remember him okay. playing Julius Caesar in the later episodes of uh, Xena. How funny! I'll have to go back and look at that. I'm trying to. There was the other day. There was oh, um, do you watch um, How to Get Away with Murder? I do not. There is a character on there, the the one who plays her assistant, and I kept going, where have I seen him from? Where have I seen him from? And so I looked him up on IMDb, and he is on he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it was you know over a decade ago, and so he looks completely different with the beard because back then he didn't have one, and it was just like, oh my god, he's just so completely different. Isn't that amazing? Just ten years can do that to you. Yeah, it's really it's really crazy. It it, it makes me worry because <laughs> I've gone through several ten year spans now. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. You're like Dorian Gray, right? You stay um, we like we all like to think, right? Yeah, there's a there's a one actress. I'm trying to think in the screen movies. Who who's the main actress in the screen movies? Oh, um, I know exactly. I picture her, and the name's not coming to me. Um, oh, I, uh, oh, I gotta, yeah. The character's name's coming to me, not the um, actresses. What is her name? She was on a, she was on another TV show. Uh, yeah, she was on Party of Five. Which I should know because Jeremy London, my actor, was on there. What is her name? Uh, her character name is Sydney. Yeah, and that's the only name I can think of, and it's driving me nuts. Uh, Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. Now Nev Campbell. 
I, I was watching the House of Cards, the last season of it, and I'm going, mm-hmm. that woman looks familiar. It's Nev Campbell. <laughs> I'm going, no. I'm going, yeah, that's her. She looks different. So funny. So crazy. Yeah. To be honest, I think she looks better. Yeah, definitely. But no, it's like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You don't see this one actor and actress for 10 years and they come back and suddenly you're like, wait a minute, is that them? Exactly. Yeah. 10 years does change somebody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then um, finally, what anything that's out there right now that you can tell people to go check out that not enough people are checking out right now? Okay. There is one thing. I mentioned a Star Trek TV show that's coming out, but that's not even mm-hmm. out yet. And I don't think a lot of people, to be honest, know about it yet. Right. <laughs> but there's this one show, and I don't think it's very popular. It's called The, Sh- the Shannara. Shannara Chronicles. It's on mm-hmm. MTV. And the only reason I mention it, and to be honest, the first season was okay, <clears throat> but it has um, was it Jonathan? Uh, what's his name? Um, come on, he was a uh, Gimli in uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. <clears throat> he was also Sala in Indiana Jones. Um. Anyway, he plays the king, Eventine Elodessel. And it's based on a, a series of novels by Terry Brooks, uh, who's written since 1977, um, mm-hmm. starting with The Sword of Shannara. And I read them all, and I love his books. So I tuned into the uh, Shannara Chronicles, um, and I watched it on my iPhone, actually, um, because I have a subscription to cable, and you can see it if you're um, if you have like Verizon or Comcast or whatnot. You can uh, see it for free. So I recommend people see it. You can go to their website on MTV, and you can just see all the episodes. And uh, I hope they have a another season. I really do. I mean, again, the first season, it was okay, but I think it's like a build-up. Right. Now, is it is it a, a good uh, representation of the books, or does it just take place in the same universe? Well, you know, it's it's a mashup of a lot of the books. So it's... It's combining the first three books, I think, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, it's a TV show. You know, it's not yeah. meant to be. You know, uh, doing a book verbatim, but <clears throat> you know, I think it has a lot of potential because it takes place in the universe uh, in in our in our Earth, like three thousand years years into the future, and uh, humanity has been destroyed in the Great Wars. Um, and then the fairy folk, they come back, and there's magic again. And then you get to see all these ancient ruins, you know, of the past civilization. And that's what I think is so fascinating, that you can see all these, like, you know, uh, you know, like uh, what what we live in today, but it's in ruins because it's 3,000 3, years into the future. And it's kind of reverted to a kind of like a Middle, middle Ages type of society, but now they have, uh, you know, magic and and I think that's just very fascinating. So that's why. Yeah, I like it. yeah. It's always it's always kind of fascinated me when they do kind of the because we always think, I think we always think of fantasy as being something from the past. Well, and so I think it's always interesting when they throw it into the future without making it science fiction. There are science fiction elements in his books, and that's what I also think is a little bit fascinating. But again, it's not like, and, and that's another thing you don't know exactly where it's taking place. Although mm-hmm. in, in the series, you kind of do. It's around Seattle, around there somewhere. But um, uh, no, no, it, it's really fascinating. You know, what, you're right, fantasy. Why does it have to take place in the past? 
Why can't it take place in the future? And I think that's what Terry Bricks was able to do. I mean, Lord of the Rings supposedly is, what, 6,000 years in the past? Right. Uh, you know, in a mythical England that doesn't exist anymore. But, no, Sh- Sh- Shannara, I think, has a potential. I don't think it's as it's not as popular as Game of Thrones. And I think they need to work on certain elements of it. But I think it has potential. I would like to see well, another season. Well, now you've got now you've got me adding something else to my summer viewing list okay. <laughs> because that is something I uh, I think sounds right up my alley. So I'm going to check that out. Okay, all right, cool, cool. I hope you like it. Well, very, yeah, definitely. It, it sounds exciting. We're going to move on to keeping it geek this week uh, and talk about some of the geeky things that we got to do. Um, I was introduced by a good friend of mine to a comic book series called Gwenpool. Um, I know you said your your geekitude is not very high in comic books, but do you know who Gwen Stacy is? Yes, Gwen Stacy from Spider-Man, right? Yes. So I guess um, I'm, I'm not real, real up on, on current Marvel continuity, but uh, I guess they've brought her back, or at least a, a alternate version of her back um, as uh, Spider-Gwen. And so she's a spider, a, a Spider-Man character, and she's got a really cool character design, but it's Gwen Stacy with Spider-Man type powers. And, uh, and so when they, you know, it's all about uh, variant covers right now in, in Marvel and DC and, and making money off of selling multiple copies of the same comic book with uh, different alternate covers. And, when they did the Secret Wars event last summer, they just released all sorts of variations of covers, some that didn't even have anything to do with the comic that was inside of it. And uh, one artist who's known for for drawing kind of very interesting covers for Marvel Comics um, created a Deadpool cover and threw in all different types of Deadpools. So it was just kind of like this army of Deadpools, and one of them was Gwenpool, and so it was kind of making fun of the Spider Gwen concept by making the Deadpool character have a, a Gwen tie-in, and there was so much excitement about this character that they're like, well, we we have to make her a character, but we don't want her to be Gwen Stacy because we've already got Spider Gwen. So the conceit of this character is that her name is Gwen Poole, P-O-O-L-E, and her she she lives in kind of it's not our universe, yeah. but she lives in a reality universe where Marvel Comics is a thing. So she's read all of these Marvel comics. And when they had the Secret Wars event, she somehow got sucked into the Marvel Universe. And so her superpower is having read all these comic books and knowing what these characters, who these characters are and what they're going to do and just being like a super Marvel fan. She has no superpowers. She has, but you know, she is surviving purely on her idea that since she's the hero of the story, she can't die. Well, that's interesting, actually. Oh. It is it is a phenomenal comic and she's power. just she's just, <laughs> reading all the comic books. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a unique, such a different take on a comic book character. It's very it breaks the fourth wall a lot. Um it 
you know, it's got a very fun humor. It's very similar to Deadpool in its it, humor, it, in but the without... movie? I love the movie, by the way. Y- yeah, very, it's 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 not that in your face. Okay. It's a little bit more pop culture. Oh, okay, okay. But so it's not as raunchy. No, it's not as raunchy, and it's not as um, it's not as violent. I mean, there definitely is violence, but it's on the cartoony spectrum. Got it. Just it's just a, a a fabulous comic book. So I I got the first uh, three or four issues of that and put it on my pull list, and and that's the the new thing that I'm into this week. Um, I watched the season finale of Orphan Black. Do you follow that at all? No. Oh, it's a great show. It's a great show. Um, so it was was they they definitely set it up. They only have one more season, which I was how, sad to hear how about. Many seasons are there? I think they're going into season like next year will be season five, and that'll be the final season. Okay, okay. Well, I'll put that on my bucket list. Yeah, definitely. It's. I mean, do you do you know what it's about? Not a hundred percent. I I have heard of the show. Uh, here's the problem because of what I do with my filmmaking. I have mm-hmm. only choice shows that I could watch, so that's why I've been sticking with uh, shows like Star Wars Rebels, mm-hmm. um, Game of Thrones, Daredevil, um, and I was watching the, the X Files, like you know, several episodes. And I'm gonna watch Star Trek. That, that's why you see, it, but you know, to watch it, all these episodes, it takes time, right? Yeah, and then that's something that we all have at a premium, right? Yeah, so you know, I mean, what I would do probably is binge watch. Um, a show if it's on a, like Netflix, and then I could like you know watch it in one day. Yeah, I, I think this one's on Amazon Prime, but you know it's it's basically um, Tachana Mullaney, who's the main actress, um, sees this woman who looks exactly like her jump in front of uh, a moving train and commit suicide, and she's kind of a, a street urchin, so she she grabs the woman's stuff that she left on the platform and tries to take over her life and then realizes that there are a whole bunch of people that look just like her and she's got to figure out what why and what this conspiracy is and this actress plays every single character so completely different yeah and she's she's got like six or seven different characters and they're all like you forget that it's the same woman playing all these characters it's it's a phenomenal show oh that's very hard to do yeah there, so i i've seen it done before and we actually did that in in my in occupants but um right but also, so I, I figured that would be something that you kind oh, of would very, would appreciate no, no, that's yeah. very fascinating i mean it's really hard to portray, you know, um, especially not just two, but more characters, like as if you have multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's, that's on my bucket list now. Um, I do have Amazon you, Prime. Wait, isn't it wonderful? Oh, I love Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, I'm going to give a shout out to my to my film, Chasing the Green, is on Amazon Prime, people. <laughs> so it's <laughs> Go the check Legends it out. of Messiah. No, but I love Amazon Prime. Um, I think that's where I'm watching... Daredevil? No, that's Netflix. One of the Netflix, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I um, that's where I have uh, my rear window, uh, uh, you know, video. I have all the Star Wars films, by the way, so you can see how mm-hmm. much I love Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't worry, I have all and Star that, Trek too, but they just happen to be on uh, DVD and VHS. <laughs> mostly VHS, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the the last thing you would spoke about us playing video games on our phone. My husband. Uh, got me hooked on this new uh, game for the phone called Best Fiends. 
and it's yeah, it's very it's very Candy Crush esque, where you have to connect the the like symbols to to do things and to move on. And there's a really cool leveling system that um that stuff like uh, Candy Crush doesn't have. So you know, for those of you who love little phone games and want something to kind of play when you're waiting in line at the supermarket, Best Fiends is a really fun one. Okay. Best Fiends, got it, got it, got it. You know, I, yeah, uh, it's, I, I, I think I've seen people play that game, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a free to play. I mean, it has the microtransactions, but really, I think they, you, you get rewards whether you win or not, and so that's always kind of nice. The, the, you, you do feel like there's forward momentum. When you say rewards, you mean monetary? No, um, <laughs> like, like, yeah, because I mean, you you can you know do micro transactions and and buy the little gems or or things to to progress your characters, but um, they they give you enough of those even when you lose, you get a few at a time. So if you're stuck on a level, it's okay because you know you're kind of still building up that um, currency to go and and level up your your character. Got it. Yeah. All right. So that's what I was up to this week. How about you? Well, um, Game of Thrones, I did watch it on Sunday. And it was, I mentioned, spectacular. Very, very spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> so I look forward to the finale tomorrow, which I'm going to be watching with uh, another interviewer, Kenneth Rotter. Mm-hmm. Who invited me you to know watch Kenny it. well on this show? Yeah. I um I, I look forward to that final episode. I, I hear it's gonna be the longest episode ever. Oh wow. I think it's like sixty some minutes. So yeah, definitely longer than the average episode, which is around fifty to fifty five minutes, I think. Uh so I'll see what happens. I hope this one character comes back on the show. And I guess it's not a spoiler because it's in the books. Her name is Lady Stoneheart. Mm-hmm. And I love Lady Stoneheart. I don't know if you know who that character is. I don't. I don't. It's in the books, and she has not made an appearance on the show yet. But she's basically the resurrected Caitlyn Stark. And she's oh, wow. like a zombie, I guess. Anyway, so I, I hope she comes back. That's what I'm hearing, but I don't know. We'll see. I'll cross my fingers. So that's what that's I'm doing. Cool. Um, I, I like watching these, uh, I guess they're called pl- playthroughs or walkthroughs of uh, video mm-hmm. games. You know, I'm not playing them myself, but I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching. Uh, I was watching uh, Contra Shattered Soldier. <laughs> it's like you know, I I played the older games, but I've never played the new ones. So I'm curious to see what they're like. So I've been mm-hmm. watching the playthroughs. So I I did that with that. I uh, tried that with part of Final Fantasy 15. It's the new um, Final Fantasy coming out. Um, just just to get a feel. You know, I'm curious. And I just like watching it, you know. I don't know why. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. And you could do that now it's, on YouTube for a lot, pretty much anything. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice low cost way to decide if you want to buy a game or not. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. really is. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And you know, it actually looks pretty good. Of course, that means I have to get the console. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's another issue. I don't have it. <laughs> That's okay. But, you know, hey. In all, in all your spare time. <laughs> but I do have that video game, Dragon Quest II, because I'm playing that. And after I'm done with that, I'll buy Dragon Quest III. <laughs> nice. And just keep going on. So that's what I'm doing. Very cool. Well, that was our Geeky Week. Sounds like we got some geeking in. That's nice. <laughs> it's always good when you can do that. It, it is. I agree. <laughs> um, a couple of news items I wanted to kind of just throw out. 
I'm sort of excited and getting more excited about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, which is kind of embarrassing because I don't think of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as being like one of the more um, solid fandoms in <laughs> out there. But I think we all grew up with Power Rangers. Yeah, it, you know, Power Rangers are from Japan. Yeah. So I grew up with the Japanese ones, too. Uh, and seeing the American ones is kind of weird. <laughs> oh, I bet. You I know, bet. basically, there are, a lot of it was for cost savings. Is they reused the Japanese ones, and they just dubbed it in with English mm-hmm. voices, which you could do because their faces are pretty much covered, right? Right, right. So, you know, I, I, I think it's fun. To be honest, um, I don't really watch them anymore. I know of them. Um, and I've heard, I've heard about Brian Cranston and Zordon and I'm curious about them. So yeah, it like for, for them to get Brian Cranston as, uh, as Zordon and then, um, oh, what's her name? Elizabeth, um, Banks as Rita Repulsa. I'm just like, how big is this movie going to be? Because these are not small stars. You know what the budget is? I don't. Well, it's probably a big budget then. It, it's like uh, it's another movie that's kind of controversial, uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Personally, I'm curious to see what Scarlett Johansson does with the role. You know, if you know anything mm-hmm. about Ghost in the Shell, the character Major Kusanagi is a cyborg. Mm-hmm. So she's not real, you know, per se. So it's like whatever you wanted her to look like. Anyway, so getting back to, you know, the Power Rangers movie. I'm curious to see. You know, it could be as big budget as um, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's just kind of like I'm just kind of shocked because I think when they announced, oh, Power Rangers is kind of like, okay, this is gonna be, you know, something that maybe if it doesn't get terrible ratings, I'll go see just for the nostalgia factor. But I'm like, okay, these are these are big name actors. These are not like. B or C list actors that they're getting for not even the main parts. Yeah. So I'm 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 quite uh, I'm quite intrigued. Well, and I also didn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I also didn't realize that um, the character of Billy in um, the original uh, TV series was named after um, Brian Cranston. Really? And yeah, that's what it says according to the article. Is the um, Billy Cranston, the Blue Ranger, was named after him because he played he voiced two of the monsters in the original American series. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I like. It's like I had no idea that that Power Rangers um, had this kind of pull. Wait, was this before <laughs> so, Malcolm in the Middle? I, I think it was. Okay, because that's where Brian Cranston really, you know, took off, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, okay, okay, I got it. Huh. Yeah, so just just little bits of of interesting news for everybody out there. Um, and then the other article that I I threw in here that I thought was kind of interesting is that um, FlameCon, which is a uh, LGBT focused uh, comic convention. Uh, it's in Brooklyn and it's held in August. Um, after the Orlando shootings, they have decided not to allow um, gun props for cosplayers mm. at the convention, which I think for some people is is kind of a blow because I know that you know props are very much part of that cosplay 
um, you know, that, that the realism of your character, but their argument is very much like we can't have people walking around with, with toy guns without kind of downplaying how, you know, how violent they can, you know, the violence that comes from gang violence, uh, gun violence and why that's such a problem. So they've just decided that they're just not allowing it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting, a little bit of an interesting decision because I have a feeling that uh, a lot of conventions are going to start following suit. Hmm. And I think this might be a trend that's... But if they if start. they ban toy guns, then won't they have to ban like katanas and swords and everything else? Um, they did say something about the different weapons that they were not allowing anymore. Mm. Um, let me see if I can find it. Well, when I think of a toy gun, I think of like a water gun, you know, water spray. Or yeah, they they just full on said anything that's um, that looks like a gun, no matter how cartoonish, they're just not going to allow. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I never equated Diamond Dale Orlando shooting was awful. I never equated that with you know fan conventions. Yeah. That, well, it's just the idea of I think the glor the idea of glorifying violence for some is not settling well anymore. Well, I, I guess then even video games, right? Or yeah. violent movies. I mean, to be honest, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, it, it's it's very subjective. Here it says uh, realistic looking weapons of other kinds or any sharp or heavy Anything sharp or heavy enough to hurt are also prohibited. Well, that I could understand. It's like bringing a fake katana sword on an airplane. airplane. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, yeah, it's not sharp, but it could still impel you. That I can understand. When when you said toy guns, I was thinking like for kids, like you buy a Target. I'm going, you're banning those? If it's like a realistic looking one, then yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, it says any kind of gun or simul- uh, simulation of a firearm, no matter how fake it looks. Hmm. And I think that's that I understand from just uh, being a teacher and knowing how people can figure out loopholes because my students try and do that constantly. Yeah. You know, having to justify why this gun is allowed in and that one isn't, I can see being more headache than they wanted to deal with. So I think just banning it across the board is probably due to that. Well, that would make sense. That would make sense. And of course, you said it's an LGBT uh, focused one. And of course, mm-hmm. the Orlando shooting was very much focused on that too. So maybe it's very specific to that kind of convention. It's very possible. I, I will be interested to see if it expands to other conventions if it starts becoming con standard, which right. wouldn't surprise. I, it really wouldn't surprise me. I don't know that it's going to go mainstream immediately but i think as more and more conventions do stuff like this people are just going to say yeah that's probably a way to go there are going to be people who are very not happy about this because you know your your weapons are a big part of your cosplay but yeah um no i i've uh, i've been to the various comic cons um as i mentioned over the last year and i'm telling you i've seen a lot of weapons and you can tell that and i've asked some of them they they say they put a lot of effort into making it mm-hmm. you know and it's a lot of joy for them yeah so, i mean that's for for some it's all about the accessory they don't care so much about the actual costume it's about the the weapon or the especially like when you get like the 
Kingdom Hearts or some of the anime with the really kind of bigger than life weapons. Yeah. Like that's the that's the capstone of their of their outfit. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how people adapt. I think that's I think that's the great thing is that there will be people that will find ways to incorporate what they love about the character even through those limitations. I agree. I agree. Uh, human human beings uh, have a lot of potential. You know, I look at it yeah. from a more Gene Roddenberry-esque point of view. Mm-hmm. Very uh, optimistic. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, I agree. I agree. Humanity uh, can, surprise, can surprise us very pleasantly, I think. So. Well, very cool. Well, that is the news as far as I was looking at this week. So we're going to move on to our feature today, which is occupants, and we've talked quite a bit about it already. But I don't think we've we've talked around it. <laughs> we haven't talked about it specifically. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about your movie Occupants and uh, what we can expect from it uh, coming up? Okay, well, um, Occupants is a uh, science fiction horror found footage feature film. Uh, it's 81 minutes long. We completed it in uh, December 2015. It's right now making the rounds of the uh, Comic Cons and film festivals. Uh, we're very close to getting distribution, actually. So oh, nice. pretty soon it can hopefully will be readily uh, available on like Netflix or Amazon Prime, um, maybe the theaters. I don't know. Um, but it's about a young couple named Annie and Neil Curtis um, who do a uh, kind of like a reverse super size me clean living documentary and they set up cameras all over their house to document their new lifestyle over the next 30 days as the weeks progress their cameras capture a parallel version of themselves basically it's them living in in the same house but they're different you know it's like a different timeline so it's like a parallel universe and at first, they can only watch them, and they consult Robert Picardo's character, Robert Picardo of Star Trek. Uh, he plays mm-hmm. Dr. Alan Peterson of the Peterson Research Institute, who supposedly put together this feature film to show all of us. And their case number is 831. So they consult him. He says, just watch them because, you know, no harm's going to come out of it. Now, over time, they start – they're able to um, – interact with the parallel universe by sending over objects and then it gets even worse when the parallel couple is able to interact with them and come into their world so basically it starts off as found footage goes to science fiction with the portals and the parallel universes then it goes to downright pure horror Mm -hmm. and that's the only thing i'll say because otherwise i'll spoil the film that's what (laughs) occupants is about and so far from the reaction we have been getting. Uh, we won second place, best of the festival at Phoenix Comic Con uh, Film Festival. And just from the reviews, it, people seem to like this film. And I'm very grateful about that because I've spent two years of my life working on this film. And I've watched this film I don't know how many times just to make sure it's as good as possible. Uh, what happened is uh, the writer, Julia Camera, she's a member member of the Writers Guild of America. She started writing this in um, late 2013. <clears throat> and then uh, my producer, Howard Nash, uh, he looks for scripts. He found her script and they signed uh, – they optioned it or he optioned it and they signed a deal in February 20, um, 
2014. Um, he brought me on as the director, um, having, you know, he and I worked together on what four previous projects. Mm-hmm. And I, I immediately, I loved the script. It was, it was brilliant. It took place in one house. It had two main actors. Picardo was like a, a cameo, if you will. Mm-hmm. He had two main actors, one house, interior. Uh, it's like, what more can you ask for? And, and, and it's an, an incredibly psychological, brilliant piece. So it can be shot for cheap, and yet it's a very strong story. And I thought, this is brilliant. I, we got to do this. And I told Howard this. So what we did is um, we went through the crowdfunding method, which became popular over the last couple of years. And this is our first film that we tried to do this. We used Indiegogo and we were able to raise 106 percent. Oh, wow. So and we didn't know if we could do it. And I'm sure I've annoyed and pestered a lot of my friends and neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. But yeah, we were able to raise the money. Um, and then we started casting that summer. And I remember for uh, the actress, Brianna White, um, mm-hmm. we, inter- we auditioned 27 actresses in, in, in Hollywood. Um, and, and it was at my uh, friend Alex DeLerma, his uh, cinema gym. I think it's in Burbank. So... Uh, we rented out a space. We, inter- you know, interviewed, um, auditioned people for the whole day, and then we called back six actresses. There's this one, Brianna White, and she was phenomenal. At this point, we had already cast our main actor, Michael Pugliasi, a couple months mm-hmm. before. So I had Michael there. I had our DP editor. I mentioned Emil Harris. He was there, and then of course the actresses were there. Now the reason I had uh, the DP there is because he was going to shoot this actress, right? He was going to film her. So I mm-hmm. wanted to see if the actress was photogenic and I wanted his opinion. I had him there, Michael Pugliasi, the actors, because I wanted to see if there was a rapport right. with the, uh, the lead actress. So we all decided Brianna was the one. And I mentioned this in previous interviews, but I'll mention it again. Um, the funny story is, so we called back you know, all the actresses, we agreed it was Brianna. It was Brianna, 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 right? Mm-hmm. At this point, she had already left for a couple hours. So I called her up. I got her voice message right away. And I said, hi, Brianna. This is Russ of Occupants, and uh, we would love to offer you the role. I, we didn't hear back for, from her for, like, several hours. <laughs> oh, no. During that time, I was like, maybe she doesn't want the part after all. So I was texting Michael. And I'm going, we may have to go with the number two choice. And he's like texting me back, no. <laughs> Luckily, Brianna called back. She was working. You know, she was busy working you know, in, in her day job. Actually, at this point, it was her night job. And that's why. She, so, yeah, no, no. She took the role. She was happy. I was happy. Um, you know, I had to meet up that weekend. They never met each other. Um, and I just had them, you know, get to know each other because we started mm-hmm. shooting five days later. Oh wow! <laughs> and then we—that's a quick turnaround for hiring an actress and then going right into filming. Well, not only that, by the way, the money wasn't released from Indiegogo until I think was the day of or the day after we started shooting. It's really, oh, wow. really tight. It was incredibly tight. And at this point, we had already cast a lot of our crew members. You know, um, uh, was it? Um, let's see, Emil Harris was already on board, but uh, we had. Uh, 
Tatiana Kolonov, production designer, she was already on board for several weeks. Alicia Vajonas, she was on board, makeup artist. Uh, mm-hmm. Nina Minnelli, um, she did uh, Wardrobe. Uh, Jennifer Durst, UPM, and she played uh, Hand Double in the film. Clifford Brakefield, uh, First AD. Jorge Hernandez Gaffer does all the lighting. Uh, I, I guess I can go on and on, but you know, we, we you know, Alexandra Sanders, she was the uh, script supervisor who deals with continuity. So, you know, all these people were on board and we were already in pre production, even before the lead actress was cast. So, we already knew where we were shooting with this great house we found on Airbnb. It's just south of the Cedar Sinai Hospital. People know Los Angeles. And it, it, was, it was incredible because basically we bought out the house for what's it, like 13 days or so. So we owned mm-hmm. a house for 13 days. So we could do whatever we want in those 13 days, right? And so we had a prep day. It was like September 23rd or something um, of 2014 where people brought in all the stuff, you know, uh, the art supplies, you know, the, uh, the camera equipment, the lighting equipment, the grip equipment, you name it. Everything was brought in that day. And I also brought into our lead actors, you know, Michael and Brianna, because I wanted them to see the place. I wanted them to get a feel for their quote unquote mm-hmm. house. And we did a run through of the script. So and, you know, of course, we tweaked it a little here based on their own mannerisms or, you know, getting tongue twisted with certain words. You know, I, I get tongue twisted with TH. Right. So mm-hmm. if they couldn't say it, I say, let's try to find another word to replace it. So that it's a natural performance. So we did that. Then we shot over 10 shoot days, uh, September 24th through October 3rd, I think, of 2014. And what we did is the first seven days, we shot with the real couple, the one with the, she had blonde hair and peppy. And then uh, he had this, uh, a lot of facial growth. He mm-hmm. actually grew out his beard for three months, specifically for this film. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he had this scruffy facial beard look and very you know down to earth and this is a very the happy couple right the real couple Uh they're just very nice down to earth and happy and so we shot them for seven days uh picardo came in on like day four we called it picardo day and (laughs) ironically everybody showed up for picardo day (laughs) but yeah picardo came in he uh shot for half a day uh we shot in front of a green screen um, and at this point, uh, the rapport is there. I know how he works. He knows how I work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, I called in the other two actors, even though they were not on camera with him. I wanted them there so he can get the most natural performance. Mm-hmm. And they did rehearsals because I know exactly what, you know, how Bob works. And Bob likes uh, when he's in makeup wardrobe, he likes to go over the script. So that's what we did. And they were there, we were in the makeup room, and, you know, we were doing all that. And then we shot his scenes, and that's it, we were done. Very efficient, you know, he came in, did his lines, he left. And then um, on day seven, that's when we switched to the parallel world. Was it seven, eight, nine? No, no, eight, nine, ten. So on day eight, we switched to the parallel world. And um, it it was very tricky, because there's this one shot... And I think you know what this shot is. Um, mm-hmm. We call it scene 69. Ironically, it was scene 69. So go for it. <laughs> but um, it's where the actress interacts with herself. With, with right. herself. And, uh, you know, that's the real actress, uh, the, the peppy one. And then you have the parallel one, which is kind of a brunette, and she's dark and brooding. Anyway, 
in order to do that shot, it took about five, six hours. And this is when they transitioned to their parallel selves. So, you know, Michael, he was easy. He went to the barber. And it became like a military look, you know, a grunt. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so he's clean shaven, you know, short cropped hair. So he made him look very, you know, in fact, I, I think he looked more sophisticated that way. Right. Um, so he, it was very easy for him. For her, she had to dye her hair over like three, four hours. It took like three dye jobs. And um, uh, what, what happens is we, we did a real uh, – re- uh, in the set, which was the kitchen, we did a, the you know her real self. We did four takes of it, and it had to be very um, very specific uh, performance because she had to fall down. Now, when you fall down, you have to have a safety mat because you you know I mean it's part of the roles, right? You don't right, want right. to hurt the actress, so the safety mat ha- couldn't be on screen. So she had to fall in a certain way. So that she landed on it, but it still looked natural. So it took some time to figure that out. Uh, Jennifer Durst, I mentioned, she acted as a stunt double in order to, uh, you know, put shadows on her. So she was the stunt double for the parallel, Annie. So we did that for takes. Uh, Eric Kask, he was associate producer. He was also a behind-the-scenes videographer. Uh, he shot me, or he shot Video Village. Video Village is the monitor. Where you're mm-hmm. able, um, you know, that I myself and Alexandra Sanders, script supervisor, we'd be watching the monitor uh, in order to make sure not just the performance is okay, but the shot composition is fine, right? So he was mm-hmm. shooting that. He shot all four takes. And then the worst part of my filmmaking career ensued for five hours. It was, um, that's when she had to dye her hair and nobody could touch the set. Uh, it became a hot set, basically, because. You know, if the camera had moved or if anything had moved in there, the shot would have been ruined. Right. So for those five hours, we couldn't do anything, literally anything. I was, we watched uh, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> That's what we did. Uh, and that we still had more time. So it, it was very uh, nerve-wracking, if you will, you know, not being able to do anything because I like to do things. And then uh, then we got her, um, you know, in the dye job, it took like three times, of course, and that really just added to the nervousness. So she finally became Parallel Annie. She did the performance, uh, four takes of that. Um, and then Eric, who shot everything, right, the video village, the monitor, mm-hmm. he gave me the footage. I put it into my laptop, my editing system. I just put it together quickly. And I was so ecstatic. It worked. I was so happy. You can talk to any of them. You can. Dig. I was like going, yeah, like that. Because <laughs> it was at that point I knew we had a movie because we had mm-hmm. our money shot. Yes, we were going to have to do a lot of visual effects work on that shot. It didn't matter. I knew it was going to work. So we did that. That was the transition. Scene 69. We got it done. Now we're in the parallel world. In the last three days, to be honest, was a breeze. Because it's, well, after you get that, after you get that out of the way, it's got to be. Um, I have a quick question about that before we move on. When you're transitioning the looks of your actors from from one to the other, especially like shaving off facial hair or or doing a, a semi permanent dye job, um, were you did you go through and make sure you had all the scenes you needed before that all happened? I mean, were you pretty? Uh, other than that last shot, were you pretty set on everything before then? Yeah, that was because of Clifford Brickfield. 
first assistant director. His job is to make sure that we covered all the bases. And without his expertise, I don't think we would have been able to. I mean, he was so yeah, because I was going yeah, to say, I, I can imagine, you know, that, that once that's done, you can't go back no, and go, oh, by the way, yeah. this shot is not exactly the way we want it. We got to do it again. No, that's it. Yeah. Once you're done, you're done. Um, and I was very convinced that we were because of Clifford Brakefield. Mm-hmm. And the guy is really good. So, um, yeah, no, no, we, we uh, had a checklist. You know, I, I crossed off the different scenes myself. Uh, I, I have this kind of like thing I do every morning. I would, um, for 30 minutes, I would be by myself on set and mm. I would just breathe it in and just go over um, what, what whatever we're going to shoot that day just to prep myself. So, you know, I'm usually the first one in basically. Right, you know, right. I just need, it's like my Zen time, I guess. Just to, you know, get focused. So, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, it was a very, very efficiently run production, and I was very happy about that. You know, I mean, I, I myself, I would have plan B, plan C, but at the same time, I had a really stellar cast and crew, and they were just very on top of the game. So Well, it looked like everybody had fun, too. At least the actors, you know, as you're, as you're watching it, you can kind of tell when people are, you know, even if the emotion that they're conveying is, you know, is fear or, or, um, you know, or sadness. There's an energy to it. If they're enjoying themselves, if that they're, if they're into it and it, you can kind of tell with the, your two main actors who, who are just very charming. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that, you know, they were, they were very into this from, from day one. Oh no, I was, <clears throat> I was very happy that they were casting the role. They were perfect. I, I couldn't have asked for better actors. I'm telling you, they were incredible. You know, Picardo, bless his heart, he was great too. But I mean, without Brianna White and Michael Pugliasi, I don't think this film would be what it is today. I really don't. So no, I I can't wait to see them in in other things. So I have no doubt that they're going to move on to other stuff because this is they 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 were very they had that kind of draw of you know you want to see them in more things. You want to see these characters. You want to know what happened to these characters. Yeah, hopefully we'll find out in Occupants too. <laughs> Well, and that was going to be my question because I'd heard from some of your other interviews that there might be an Occupants 2, and I, I wasn't sure if it was going to follow these same characters or if it was going to because because you, you've started building out a, a much bigger universe for this this story, right? Yes, yes, we have a comic book tie-in now to the film, <clears throat> which was uh, spearheaded by Eric Cask. I mention his name all the time. <clears throat> Sorry. But uh, Eric is um, a comic book aficionado, whereas I am not. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who suggested, based on all these um, – uh, there's this one scene in the film where uh, Picardo sends uh, you know, um, Annie and Neil a testimonial video of other people who have seen parallel universes. Mm-hmm. And we assign case numbers for all those videos. And Eric is like, Russ, you have all these videos. You have a lot of choice stuff to choose from. You should try to do a comic book tie-in. And at first I'm like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, you can't be that serious. But then uh, by November – okay, we, we finished shooting in like uh, October 2014, right? Then we went into post-production and everything. We had a pickup shoot in April 2015, which is when we did all these testimonial videos. Uh, we did, uh, you know, uh, 
music around when did we lock picture around february 2015 we did music for the next couple months with uh vasilis molestis our composer uh we had an orchestra score recorded in portugal uh through the 99 uh, dollar orchestra it was called we did the visual effects in bangalore india and the philippines uh in sound we did uh with my guy sean fahemian um the sound design and the sound design is very specific in the film i, I i'm mm-hmm. very happy with this work because dialogue was clean dialogue was clean and he was able to give me uh parallel versus real uh universe sounds so if you listen to the parallel world you you hear this low hum yeah yeah, yeah i noticed that, that yeah very specific to that was what he suggested and it was brilliant so, you know, all that is done, you know, and then the film uh, was completed uh, December 11th, 2015. Now, as it was being completed around October, uh, November or so, I think at that point, uh, the last element was like the credits we were doing. And we had, we went all out on the end credits and I hired a guy, great guy named Andrew Bliss to do it. Um, at that point, Eric was like, going, okay, Russ, you know, I brought this up before a year ago, but I really think you should do a comic book tie-in. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, what do you have in mind? He's like, well, I have this artist. His name is Dave Beatty. And he's great. You know, he works for DC and Marvel Comics. And I, I think he'd be a very good fit for this. I'm like, sure, okay. So what do you want to do? So he he's the one who laid out the game plan. You know, he says we should draw the first two pages and a cover. And then we launch an Indiegogo campaign. I'm like, okay, this could work, you know. And we I teleconference with Dave Beatty and Eric. And we came to terms, and we signed the contract, right? Mm-hmm. He drew the pages. Uh, I recorded a, uh Indiegogo campaign video, uh, which I did uh, also, by the way, for the actual film itself uh, back in, like, June 2014. So basically, I just did another one, <laughs> this mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. for the comic book. And we recorded in, like, December uh, 2014, late December. And um, Emil Harris, my DP editor, he shot it, bless his heart. And then I put it together. Uh, we had a campaign ready in January, but we didn't launch it officially till February 20th uh, at the Critical Threat Comic Bookstore um, in Arizona. It's near, I think, Arizona State University. And uh, at that point, then it was officially launched. Then, of course, I had my anxiety attack. <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to reach you know, our goal of 100%. Uh, we went to 225%. Wow. So there is, and it's being drawn as we speak. Dave Beatty is uh, working on, he's about maybe 14, 15, 16 pages. No, no, I'm sorry. He actually just showed us, showed us sketches of all 24 pages. No, he showed us. It's very rough, though. Uh, mm. uh, some pages are more drawn than others, right? We also hired, at the Phoenix Comic Con, by the way, uh, letterer Al Sparrow. Al Sparrow is his like filmmaking partner on this uh, comic book uh, called Red Skirts, which I suggest people to check out. Uh, you can go to like his site, bushytails.com. <laughs> and so we hired him to do not just lettering, but also the variant cover. You're talking about variant covers, right? Right, well, right. Eric introduced me to the world of variant covers. I had no yes. idea what that was. <laughs> well, now there will be a variant cover drawn by Al Sparrow. So, That's very cool. So it, it, this tie-in, and and what happened was the inception of the story. I wrote the story because I knew the film, and I'm the one who shot the, a lot of the testimonial videos, right? 
mm-hmm. or I, I spearheaded the testimonial video shoot, basically. Um, I shot my friend Timothy Lee Conley, a great friend of mine, and uh, he was one of the, the testimonial videos. And uh, we shot it at our alma mater, by the way, USC. Nice. He, he uh, works there. And um, his case was case 285. And if you go on our website, occupantsthemovie.com, there is a link to the Peterson Research Institute site. And you can see these videos. Um, and, you know, his was one of them. So, you know, you can go, it's pri-research.info. That's the website. And I assigned, I guess, uh, again, all these case numbers, right? And I mentioned before, occupants of feature film was case 831. Well, his is case 285. And there's others from all over the world. I mean, all over. I mean, we got people from all over the world to shoot videos <laughs> of Japan, uh, Philippines, Pakistan. Uh, we got somebody to film from Notre Dame, which was the compo- composer's wife, Maria. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, literally, we were everywhere. So I was thinking, okay, so case 831 takes place in Los Angeles. That's been established uh, in the film. I'm going, what other case was in Los Angeles? And lo and behold, it was case 285. It's the only other one. That's my friend Timothy. So I built a story around his case, and I tied it into the feature film where, uh, in the sense that uh, you see uh, cameos by uh, Picardo, by Brianna, by Michael, uh, by Aaron Redford, who played the pizza man. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron Redford's also the executive producer, so big shout out to him. Thank you, Aaron. Um, and basically, minor characters like Timothy Conley and Chris Winters, who's co-producer. He's also the um, the son of Alan Peterson, Doctor Peterson. So he mm-hmm. becomes the son of um, he becomes Alan Peterson Jr. We introduce uh, Nicole Morris. She's a new character that plays his girlfriend, Nicole Thornton. So then you get these minor characters in the film. They become major characters in the comic book. And it takes place during Acts 1 and 2 of the feature film itself. So it's very cool because I, I love the fact that, I mean, it really is. You've you've built a universe out of this, this movie. And, you know, beyond the comic book and the, you know, a possible sequel, do you see this going into... Um, more than just a one shot and becoming a comic series, or do you see it becoming, you know, I, is is it going to remain in the film and comic book uh, realm? Are you looking at TV? Where oh, where does this go from we're, here? We're looking at whatever whatever demand there is, we will supply. So no, uh, we would like to do more, more comic books, more films, TV show, web series. I don't know. What the sky's the limit. It, the possibilities are out there. It just requires the demand, and we need to see if there is demand. Before we supply. Now, I'm going to quote Fox Mulder of X-Files. I want to believe that it will happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a very fun universe to, to kind of um, theorize about what what could be out there. Because, you know, is it just that one parallel universe or are there more ooh, multiple parallel? No, 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 no. Um, we already established in the feature film that there's a parallel universe, right? But if you look closely, mm-hmm. and I will not spoil it, there is a third universe. And there, it's because oh. of a timing sequence. Just look carefully. Also, in the comic book, it's definitely not the universe that Parallel Annie and Neil live in. Oh, wow. So, yes, we have established one, two, three parallel universes already. Wow. 
That's exciting. That, that, you know, kind of give me a little bit of a chill because it's like there's so many stories that you can play with in here. So many, you know, it's just the the the, the limit. It's limitless. I, I think that's so awesome. Well, another funny thing is, uh, <laughs> what, what one character I'm not going to say who, but just say they get killed off, let's say, right in, in the comic book. But the thing is, mm-hmm. you have parallel worlds, so the character could come back. So my friend is like, oh, yeah, he, you know, my friend Eric, uh, the social producer, is like, yeah, yeah, he can come back like Kenny in South Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And the person I'm talking about, I won't name who, he was not amused. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. It is very exciting. It is very, very cool. Um, uh world to to look at and to watch and and i i highly recommend that anybody who's at any of these film festivals or or comic conventions that you mentioned at the top of the show um that they they check it out if they they get a chance because it's it's just a fun film and and it looks like it's just the it's just the tip of the iceberg in this universe well i'll quote star trek the motion picture the adventure is just beginning that's awesome very very cool um any shout outs before we, we wrap things up? Yeah, 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 I do. Um, my parents, Charles and McKamey Emanuel, I definitely want to give a shout shout out to them. Without them I would not be here. So um they believed in me and I really do appreciate it. Uh my brothers Chris and Kenneth and Chris and his family, Kimmy and my nephew and uh my uh niece, uh Thomas and Olivia. They're gonna be in the comic book. <laughs> yeah, cameos. Um, you know, I, I already mentioned Howard Nash, the producer, Brianna White, Michael Pagliassi, Robert Picardo, uh, Chalet Lizette Brannon. She's another actress in the film. She plays the lonely child. I want to give a shout out to her. Uh, she has been suffering from leukemia. Mm. So I'm just, you know, my prayers are with her. Um, Aaron Redford, again, the executive producer, uh, Jen Durst, Chris Winters, Robert Quartler. He's the other producer of um uh with with howard so robert thank you so much uh prem singh executive producer um julia camera was the writer vasilis molestus composer mentioned emil harris tatiana nina alicia alexandria jorge um jack rock and janine berryman they are were very instrumental in taking a lot of the photos um, on set. In fact, we use Janine Berryman's uh, photo for the uh, poster. Oh, okay. Janine, thank you so much. And Joe Notovitz, uh, he's the poster artist. He's the one who took Janine's photo and made the poster what it is. And we've been getting very good reactions to the poster. So I'm just very happy about that. And I mentioned Eric Cast, Dave Beatty, Al Sparrow, um, Sean Fahimian. Um, and a shout out to my future producer, Julie Della De Ocio <laughs> of The Dollhouse. Uh, it's a, a future film that we plan to shoot in the summer of next year. Um, and then there's also uh, Jennifer uh, Russell. She was Jennifer uh, Don Anderson Bounds. Um, and I want to give a shout out to her and Betty Dravis. And of course, to all the wonderful contributors to both the comic book and the feature film um, that contributed on Indiegogo. Without all of you, and there are hundreds of you, but I I, I love you all. I just want to say <laughs> thank you so much uh, to you. Uh, I want to say thank you to you, uh, Joe, 
for having me on. And yeah, please. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my only shout out for this week is, uh, well, first of all, to you, Russell, for, for being on the show and for, for letting us talk to you today. But uh, personally, I'd like to, to show, throw a shout out to my friend Rob, who not only introduced me to Gwenpool this week, but uh, I got to hang out with him on Monday. And uh, he's one of my uh, geekiest of friends. And I always enjoy hanging out with him and uh, discussing all the stuff that is too nerdy or geeky to talk about with my other friends. So that was fun. Um, can I can I give a couple more shout outs? Of course. Okay. Um I want to give a shout out to the TG Geeks. Oh yes. Without them, I would not have met you through Kenneth Kenneth Rotter. So mm-hmm. it, it's like uh, you know, it, it's uh, what are we like four degrees of separation? But you see, TG Geeks uh, is uh, Ben Rag- Ragginson, and again, if I'm mispronouncing it, I'm sorry. And Keith Lane, they uh, are very ardent supporters of Occupants. They came to our screening at Phoenix, and um, you know, they wrote a review, and uh, you know, they introduced me to Kenneth, and they then introduced me to you. So it, it's you know, big shout out. Uh, to them and uh, to also Jacob O'Neill, who's interviewed me too, but he's the festival was the festival director at the Phoenix Comic Con Film Festival. He stepped down. He and his team is just they were just really stellar and um, they treated us so well. So that's it. <laughs> awesome! Very very cool. All right. Well, next week we're going to be talking to Kevin Wallace, who is with StackUp.org, and that is a group that does a lot of video game-related fundraising for veterans and for soldiers overseas. They put together care packages to send to our troops. And uh, it's a really, really great organization, so I'm really excited to be talking to them. So that is coming up this coming week. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound. is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. You can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you would like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude or me personally at Epic Grays. Russell, where can we find you and all your occupant uh, information. Well, first and foremost, please uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook site, um, and that's uh, facebook.com forward slash occupants the movie. That's occupants plural, the movie. Of course, there's the occupants website, which has a link to everything uh, www.occupantsthemovie.com. Um, and there it will connect uh, you to our Twitter site, our Instagram site, our YouTube site. You can find um, other films that I've done at my production company, which is Russum Productions, and that's www.russemmasonmary.com. So that's russum.com. Yeah, and we will definitely throw those links into the show notes so people can just click right through. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Russell, for for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. And uh, we're looking forward to getting everybody out to see occupants in their local uh, Comic-Cons. Well, thank you so much for having me on board again. And uh, yeah, for um, anybody out there, if you're in San Diego on July 23rd, join us, please. Um, That's 1045 p.m. at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con. 
and that's our next, I guess, local screening, if you will. Perfect, and we'll we'll definitely be talking to you that weekend. And for all of you listening out there, remember this week, keep it geek.